for new grad RTs, most of us are going to go into the adult world. And then that's where they see how we handle different types of emergencies, different types of codes, how we interact with patients. Can you really handle the traumatic experiences? Because an RT is throughout the hospital. We're going to see every single code in the hospital. We're not just seeing our patients. We're seeing our coworkers' patients as well. All right, here we go again, everybody. Welcome back to the Selfie Show, where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. My name is Tori. I am the founder and now co-host of the Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, grad school student, and now podcaster. And sitting across from me is my very beautiful co-host. So I am Sam. I am a flight nurse. I am a professor, a podcaster somewhat of a power lifter and co-host of the selfie show. Mm, and I do have a black eye. She does. Right she walked in today. I was like, what did Moses like punch you in the face today or what? I was like, you should have seen the other guy. <laughs> oh no, I got filler under eye filler. Queen. Get it. I look beautiful once this bruise goes away. But it's only in one eye, which I don't get. I, don't know. I bruise like a banana, but it looks wonderful. It does. You're, it's Minus fabulous. You're nice and plump. But I'm not wearing makeup. So I'm just like, Hi, this is my <laughs> black eye. Anyways, today we are talking off the clock about our very best friends, mm. respiratory therapists. Yes, queen. We are going to get into it today. Holy smokes, you guys. We have a guest of guests for you today. We have the queen of oh. respiratory. She Monique. was literally amazing. You guys, I cannot the best wait for you to hear this. Ever known. It, she's, yes, so, hands down. It's going to be fun. You're in, you're in for a real treat today for so many reasons. But before we get into that, single girl, married girl, life tip of the week. All right. This has been coming up, I feel like, for me a lot lately because I'm I'm trying to, you know, yeah. put myself out there. You're getting it, girl. You know, I'm vaccinated now, so I feel like <laughs> Vaccinated AF, get vaccinated. plug, plug, get your mask. <laughs> yes, our vaccinated AF masks are available now from Better Gowns, and we'll link them in show notes. They're so cute. They are adorable. So I'm like, all right, the potential to, you know, date is on the horizon in mm-hmm. these pandemic times. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to put myself out there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am a lot to handle, Uh, just a lot of no shit. (laughs) So it's gonna take a very like strong person to be with me. Mm -hmm. They're gonna have to be very accepting of my outgoingness, Mm -hmm. my personality, and I hate this. So I'll start talking to someone, and they'll always be like, "Do you have an IG?" And I'm like. Mm. <laughs> do I have an IG? Do I, do I have an IG? Boy, do I. Are you prepared to handle what's on my IG? Probably not. And then I was like, you know, Sam, a guy wants a bad bitch. He's got to be okay with dating a bad bitch. Right. Yeah, you that's can't a good point. Have both. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. So, freaking the sheets, freaking the streets. <laughs> like, I, you know, I love a good booty pick. Yes, queen. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. gym selfies. Mm-hmm. I did that whole sexy moment, 35th birthday spiel. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm first talking to someone, I'm like a little embarrassed to give them my Instagram and just fully throw that whole account onto them. It's a lot. And Do you tell them that you have a podcast too? <sighs> That's the real question. Cause we talk, we get into some stuff here, you know? So- I did. I told one person that I had a podcast and they listened to the sex episode <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. Yeah. You like to, you like to spill it. 
So it's, know, you know, do you, do you tell people this? So I don't know. I just figured at this point now, if someone asked me for my IG, I'm just going to give it to them. There you go. Because why, what's the point of going on a couple dates or whatever and then getting into it and then they like see my account and they're like, oh. Yeah, it's like open book. Like, this here is too it is. much. I don't think this is like, she's too much. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be me right off the bat. And if you can't handle my Instagram accounts, mm-hmm. my booty pics, yeah. my personality, I'm not going to hold back to it. I'm not going to be this like, like I will eat a full steak if you take me on a date. I'm not going to get a salad. No, 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 no. Um, we don't mess around here. We don't mess around. So just be your full authentic self and the right person mm. will accept you fully. Yeah. Don't try to like put Tone on it down. the best. Don't try to water yourself down in the beginning. And then it's also not fair to them because you you are switching it up on them later. Yeah. And that's not cool. That's fair. So to me, I'm just going to be my full, authentic Samantha. Mm-hmm. And if they don't like it, I got 465 hinge matches. I'll find someone <laughs> that does. Jesus. Plenty of fish in hinge. Plenty of fish in that sea. There's a lot of trash in the sea also. Um, a lot of pollution. But we'll just keep weeding through it. But yeah, I just think put yourself out there as your true, authentic self. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. There's been some people that have asked me for my Instagram and then have ghosted me after. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're lost because <laughs> my butt looks amazing. I can't handle you're, all this. You're lost. But yeah, if it's not, I'm not for everyone. Yeah, it's fine. I am a lot. You don't want to loud, be. I'm outspoken. I post about politics on my page. Yeah. I am very much who I am. Yeah. And it's beyond even social media. Even just having a first conversation with someone, I'm not going to water myself down. I love that. So I think- same thing. Don't water yourself down. Be who you are. Be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And if it's not right for that person, you don't want to be with that person anyways. Yeah. Just put yourself out there. Be authentic. And the right person is going to want to stick around for the yeah. real you. Yep. I love that. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Dating mic drop. Mic drop. Uh, okay. So mine this week is um, sort of kind of keeping it spicy in the way of Going out of your way to do simple little gestures for your person. So I feel like my love language is like all the languages. Like I'm not even going to lie. I'm like, give me all the gifts. Do all the things for Tell me. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm pretty. Spend quality um, time with me. Yes. Like plan everything for you. No. Um, I had a little bit of like a rough day. And um, just last night I came home and Jacob had just gotten flowers. <sighs> From Vaughn's, mind you. But you know what? Who cares? I Where do we clone him? Actually, that. Vaughn's means a lot because they're overpriced there. Yeah, I so know. So it means he spent way more money. Like, I only buy flowers at Trader Joe's because yeah. they're so much cheaper. They are. So to me, Vaughn's is Tip. a real love. That's like, that's love because yeah. he spot you overpriced flowers. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Good job, You know what? But it was honestly, and he hadn't done that in a while, to be honest. Like, it's not like he comes home every week with flowers. Like, that's not it. Like, it was just, like, something that it just felt really nice to be like, oh, you were at the store and you just thought of me. And, you know, and likewise, I think my love language to him would be, you know, if I went out and I just, like, he's like a big, you guys, he is the dessert king. Like, we're at home. eat my birthday cupcake that you bought me. He wanted your birthday cupcake. Yeah. I got you. Um, but he is like, you know, the dessert guy. And so every now and then I'll like get him a little something special when I'm at the market or, you know, just something to 
you know, just show your partner that you're thinking of them in little ways. And it's funny because those things go so far. I feel like those are the things to me that, you know, are where he picks up slack where I can't. And, you know, just those little moments can really, really help just keep your, I don't know, keep you guys on the same page and keep you guys, you know, thinking of it, you know, just knowing that he was thinking of me in that moment was just kind of nice. And I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, this is just Yeah, it's not about gifts or about money. It's the fact that I ran across your mind Mm -hmm. and you thought, hey, this might be nice and make them feel better or brighten up their day. Or like when we were, we were on our last trip, um, he booked us like a massage and like just did that. Didn't even tell me. And he, cause he knows how much I love them and he just did it. And he was like, Oh, by the way, like we woke up and he was like, we're going to get a massage. And I was like, Oh yes, this is like, that is my love language right there. Or a facial, you know, I don't know. One time when I was, um, with my ex and I was working night shift and sleeping, I woke up and then got ready to go to work. And Mm -hmm. then I went and got in my car and he took it to the car wash. Oh, see, that's amazing. Or like filling up gas. I should marry you. Yeah. And then that didn't work out. <laughs> we'll get into kidding. that another day. Oh, my God. I love you. But, oh, yeah, so it's, like, terrible. even – But yeah. that was the nicest thing yeah. ever. That, to mm-hmm. me, was, like, the kindest little act. Like, you know my car is a dumpster fire yeah. and so trashy. Yeah. And I'm so tired. And those little things totally. are so meaningful. They I love are. that for you guys. Yeah. And it's – you yeah, know, yeah, and Rambo don't really do good. shit for me like that, so <laughs> – I, I guess I need my single girl tip to work out so that yeah, I can we get gotta, We got to remind them. Because I buy my own flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's an empowerment moment yes. too, girl. Get your flowers. No, I love that, that you guys yeah. do those little thoughts. It's just the little moments. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, okay. Question of the week. Question of the week. Actually, this is a good one, especially since we have someone from a different healthcare um, profession with us today. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's a lack of communication within healthcare? How to address it. Yes. Yes, 100%. Huge. huge. I mean, like a million times percent. Can we even do that? Here's my pet peeve of being a nurse. So you have a pretty sick patient and they have their attending Mm -hmm. and then they have cardiology and neurology Mm -hmm. and nephrology and and infectious disease and and surgery, all consulting. And Yep. And they all come in and see the patient at a different time. And then they all write their notes. And ID's doctor says, do these antibiotics for this many days. And then cardiology says, do this. And then nephrology is like, don't do this because mm-hmm. of the kidneys. Mm-hmm. And it's just a cluster. cluster. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And you're like, hey, bitches, why don't you guys all talk? Yes. And then we all make a plan for this patient mm-hmm. that actually goes together because you want to do this and you want to do this. And that drives me. It drives me nuts too when wall. they come to the bedside and they tell the nurse, by the way, oh yeah, we want to start this med or this, this, this. And you're like, first of all, I can't put in that order. That's not even, that's not even on me. Like I can't do that. So you want me to relay this to the team when I have no idea where they are. They're off in another land you know, dealing with another patient. And you're like, so you're expecting me to put in this order. I don't understand. And why aren't you telling, why aren't you talking to the medical team about that? That's, that's more medical. Like that's not my. And you want to do this. You haven't talked to PT, Mm -hmm. OT, Mm -hmm. or any of the like therapists about any of the stuff you want to do. It's it's annoying. And it's a a huge problem. And I will say this too. It's everywhere. That's not just one hospital. That's every hospital, every single organization. It's, it is. Every single person that works in healthcare right now is nodding their head. Yes. hundred percent. It is very frustrating. Um, I think it's, you know, and it's also frustrating. It's frustrating for the families because then they're getting mixed messages on, you know, oftentimes what the 
plan of care is. Um, so yes. And I do think um, some hostels are getting really good about trying to do rounds, like actually do multidisciplinary nurse, like yeah, dis- interdisciplinary rounds where they're either nurse led or resident led. And I do love that, but it still doesn't always include the consults, which yeah. is really frustrating. Because consults come, they're consulted and they roll through when it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's in between surgeries or whatever. In between other patients, you know, after, you know, and every, every, it is difficult because every discipline has a different priority as far as like surgeons, right? They're in surgery for X amount of hours and then they, you know, come up and follow up on their patients. There's NPs that have to circulate on, let's say 20 patients. There's, you know, there's a lot of different dynamics, but it is really frustrating. It is really tough. I tell my nursing students though, that we are the gatekeepers mm-hmm. of all the humans. We are. And we kind of we host the party. We're the host of the party. Oh yeah, yeah. And you being a host is a lot of work. I actually hate having parties at my house because I don't ever get to enjoy. I don't get to sit around and talk to people. I'm taking out the trash. I'm refilling drinks. I'm redoing this. I'm Mm -hmm. like cooking this. I'm pulling this out of the oven. I'm cleaning up this mess along the way because I am OCD. That is literally what we do. Hosting parties at my Mm -hmm. house. But I love it because I love people and I want to have people over, mm-hmm. but it's like so much work. Yeah. And same that's exactly, thing. I mean, it's exact same thing. Like we, you just have to think about you're having to communicate to every single person, to the families in theory to your patient, unless you're a NICU patient, then it's just, you know, they don't talk back, but there's, you you're know, paging you have, doctors, you're, you're corralling mm-hmm. everyone, trying to get them together and communicate. Yeah. I think the best thing that we can just do is advocate yeah. about in real time, like telling that specialist, like. Hey, well, while you're here, why don't we call so-and-so doctor to the bedside so that we can all get on the same page or take it upon yourself to be like, Hey, can we schedule, um, a A meeting, meeting, a like family, a multidisciplinary, like patient plan of care meeting about this patient so that we can all talk, discuss, get on the same page. Yeah. Really? I think it is just the advocacy of trying to pull it together and not play telephone. Yes. Don't, they will make you play telephone if you let them. It's also my least favorite thing when um, a consulting doctor comes up and tells us, you know, what the plan is or what they want to do. And then you're rounding with your team and they're like, why would they do that? Or, you know, why, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just the messenger and that's what they told me. So if you want to hear why, you should probably connect with them. Yeah. I don't know. And how. then I think, I think we have a little bit more control. That's, you know, when it's physician based, but when the like specialties that we work side by side, I think we absolutely can do better about communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. And that comes on us. So with your respiratory therapist, mm-hmm. um, being at the bedside when you both do your assessments together and things like that, getting on the same page, even just talking to them like, hey, I used to, when I worked in the NICU, ask my RT during the first like set of cares, what's our plan for tonight with the vent? Like if things are going well, like you want to wean, like what's our plan? Like, let's get on the same page. What Mm -hmm. time do you guys want to do certain interventions? We have a gas in the morning. What time do you want to do that? Just getting together, talking on the same page. And I think you work day shifts, so you work with way more specialists, but I think your day goes a lot smoother if you're kind of able to organize with your different um, physical therapists, your OTs, speech, whatever, Mm -hmm. and kind of get a game plan together. And I think that we're able to communicate that better if we just take a little time out of our day to connect with them and say, hey, yeah, let's collab really quick. Yeah. And it'll set our day like a lot smoother. Yeah. Speaking of collaboration, today, you guys, we are bringing on the nursing partner in crime. We are bringing on Monique Stefani. She is a master's degree prepared respiratory therapist. She's a flight RT and just overall a badass babe. 
She's worked previously as an educator for the respiratory department for large teaching hospital. She is a respiratory college professor. She's director of education at a SoCal school for their respiratory department. She's the secretary for the California Society of Respiratory Care, and they are huge in pushing and lobbying for legislative policy, and she is big on advocacy for the field of respiratory care. So she is so smart. She is amazing. So knowledgeable, and she knows everything there is to know respiratory. Yeah. So get prepared, you guys. Buckle up. This is a really, really good episode. And honestly, I think that this is an episode that every single person can take away something from today. Honestly, we learned a lot, even as nurses. Like This is just an episode that I think everyone, honestly, in the medical field should hear. And it's been overdue. We are ready to dive into the world of respiratory care. All right, you guys. Without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, so we are so excited to get you in here today. There's so many reasons. I just, I don't even know where to start. But um, okay, so first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like your background? My name is Monique Stefani, of course. Um, I have been an RT. I hate saying this because it makes me feel so old, especially seeing all the baby RTs out there. But I've been an RT almost 20 years. So you became an RT when you were two years old? Exactly. Wow. That's impressive in and of itself. I was super smart. So almost 20 years. um, I actually got into the field kind of by accident, just roaming around through different ads, found the ad in a penny saver Mm. and went and... Found out more about respiratory. Went to school called California Paramedical out in Long Beach. And they had two campuses. I chose that one because it was closest to me. Uh, It was one of the first associate's degree programs for respiratory. And that was back in 2000. And from that point, got my associate's degree. Started working here in LA County and in Orange County for tenant health systems, which used to be really, really big a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And worked throughout there. Worked uh, for MLK, which honestly was a really great experience. That's where I got to see a lot of the babies who set my set the foundation for today, right? You see a lot of critical babies in that area. Mm-hmm. And then- Is that got, a community-based hospital? I don't know. I think it's a county-based okay, hospital. County. Actually, Counties, yeah, I feel I like, know. always have some of the best, yeah. you know, because you get to learn so much. Oh my see. gosh, it was a learning, it was a teaching hospital. They had closed for a while and then reopened back up. I don't know how it is now compared to back then, but um, we used to have Code Yellows, and code yellows were their traumas. I think we're getting a little off topic, but that's it's fun to talk about because yeah. code yellows at MLK were what back then they called their trauma calls. So we would get calls code yellow times two, code yellow times three, meaning they're bringing in two or three patients into the trauma center. And their trauma bay was really, really, honestly, it was probably, probably some of the best experiences where I got to see chest being cracked open right in front of me. I got to do a cardiac massage. During that time, they had their OR center right in their trauma bay. So oh. you had five doctors responding. It was amazing. There's like experience. trauma and then there's trauma, trauma. Right. Yeah. They're like, that's like shock trauma, right? Yeah. That's pretty intense. Okay. So as a new grad RT though, so like Tori and I went into NICU and that's all we do. And other people are going into CVICU or oncology or L&D and they're going into this one or even med surge. They're going to this one thing and that's what they're doing respiratory world, like not so much. So new grad Monique, like for the most part for new grad RTs, 
most of us are going to go into the adult world. Right. And then that's where they see how we handle different types of emergencies, different types of codes, how we interact with patients. Can you really handle the traumatic experiences? Because an RT is throughout the hospital. We're going to see every single code in the hospital. We're not just seeing our patients. We're seeing our coworkers' patients as well. So you get that experience in adults and you go into either PICU-NICU or different more um, advanced types of care in some hospitals, uh, some in Riverside County. Uh, they actually are in the surgical centers, um, in OR with the surgeons. And then from there, there are some RTs that do start off in NICU or PICU. Um, there's some hospitals here in Orange County that have a residency program that put you right as a new grad. So I want to get like super detailed, go micro into the role of an RT. What does your role look like? So that's such a broad question because I could ask you the same as a nurse, right? What does your role as a nurse look like? There's so many different roles. So as an RT, you can work in the hospital and you could just do basic med surge floor care. You could be a PFT tech. Um, you could do sleep studies. You could work in the critical care such as adults, PICU, NICU. Um, you can work in the OR setting. You can work in doctor's offices. If I'm working in the hospital, generally we're going to get a workload that can range anywhere from four patients to 24 patients. And what determines that workload? Across the nation, there is a point system that is encouraged by our national organization called the AARC. So that system helps determine for respiratory departments how they assign assignments, mm -hmm. workloads. Um, and generally speaking, you get it based on that. Um, in California, we're one of the really lucky ones with the exception of today, right? With the pandemic, we're generally speaking, we're one of the only states who has ratios. So in acute care settings, uh, a ratio of four to one. So four events to one RT. Anything more than that is out of ratio. Just like for nurses, you guys have your ratios. That's our ratio. But we're the only state in the entire U.S. that has that. California. Same thing for I don't nursing. Know. The, for, shout out to all the nurses or other healthcare providers that don't live in California because yeah. I don't know how y'all do it. Yeah. Yeah. So there is one other state that just started it and only in their NICU. And I believe they started it last year, which was Florida. I don't know how many RTs are even aware of that because stuff like that is not broadcasted. Right. So, right, exactly. What does your hands-on look like? Hands, hands-on. So let's say like ICU setting. Yeah. What does that okay. role look like as an RT in the ICU? So hands-on, of course, you get your initial report on your patient, um, preferably bedside. That way you could have eyes on your patient and see what your tube is placed at, if your airway is patent, what your vent settings actually are, that your vents circuit is actually patent. Right. You're assessing all of the vitals. You're going through the patient's chart, seeing what medications are on, seeing what cardiac medications are on specifically because it interacts a lot with the respiratory medication. So it's a lot of assessment as you would do, but generally speaking from the diaphragm up for us, right? Mm -hmm. Anything below that, we try to Mostly stay You're away like, from. You're like, we'll stay away from that end. <laughs> Meanwhile, whenever you guys suction a trach, I'm like, I'm going to step out of the room now. I will be back later. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So a lot of assessment without saying something. It's just like, it's a lot of similarities with nursing where once you get into the role of, or the hang of things, you know what you're doing without saying it. You're just, it comes to you naturally in an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? This is step one all the way to step 10. And this is my assessment that's done in like a minute in right. my mind because this is what I'm used to You get to so doing. used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the same with nursing where you kind of get like, you just start getting so used to what you're looking at and, right. you know, vitals and like everything. So it could be anywhere from, you know, intubating, depending on which hospital you work at. Some RTs are intubating, some are not. 
Um, transport, of course, our large Is that cheese. state dependent also? It, or? So that's not state dependent. That is hospital dependent. So every state um, in the nation, and RT is, that's what we're trained to do. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's not happening in every, and I say unfortunately, but there's goods and there's positives and negatives to that, right? So an RT can intubate depending on the hospital's protocols. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I'm sure, so when you had said you worked at like MLK and yeah. that's a crazy trauma center right. where things are always going down, did they intubate there? Nope. No. Oh, no. No. Because I think, feel like that would have been a helpful yeah. situation. Yeah. But if you think about the whole picture, it's a teaching facility. So a teaching hospital where they have fellows and residents. They want to give those to them. Oh, exactly. the doctors always stealing. All yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, I would say that's, that's pretty standard common across hospitals. like a teaching hospital. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. in the NICU, of course, um, they would usually give the, R- the docs one or two tries and then get out of the way, you know, it's okay, so the RT is going to intubate. It just really varies. It's so variable across the entire country. What's your favorite clinical area to work in? Transport, 100%. <laughs> I love this. Okay, so this is like a big, everybody always wants to know, transport, emergency, like flight, everything. Yes. So can you dive into that a little well, bit? Give us What's your background like? on even how you got, how you got there. transport. Right. So I started working with adults and NICU all in the same time. The training back then, there were so many jobs available that you, they were desperate to train. So I trained right away in the NICU. Um, from there, I went through different tenant hospitals, worked in different areas. So it took years of experience before transport. I know a lot of new grads ask, oh, one or two years, I'm going to get into transport. Absolutely not. And to even think that you can do that. It's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. You probably don't even have the right personality because you don't know what you don't know. Right. So then, you know, from there, I got into education. Education still is a huge part of my career and got really, really involved in the political side of things for uh, my field as well as different organizations. And then I really wanted to be able to use my license at the highest scope of uh, my practice. And I saw there was a full-time opening on transport. It kind of didn't even cross my mind a second time. I immediately contacted their manager. So what is the scope of practice then for a respiratory therapist on transport team? So actually the scope of practice for an RT is almost exactly the same as a nurse is. is, And a lot of people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. The benefit of the RT is how specialized we are in, in cardiopulmonary stuff. And that's mainly our, our focus, right? So that's, you guys are definitely the whole picture and you're overseeing the whole patient and our specialties are in those two areas, which is why in some, um, on some transport teams, RTs are used to their fullest capacity, even administering drugs, narcs, blood products, but on transport for us, where on our scope, we do everything with the exception of the narcs, right? The blood. So we'll help you set up your pumps. We're intubating, we're doing IOs, we're helping to start IVs, which by the way, I have to I'm going to repeat and I'm going to get kicked from some people for this. I don't care. I hate starting IVs. I'm just spoiled because I learned how to start IVs on babies in NICU. So now that I work in pediatrics of all ages, I'm the opposite of most nurses who don't want to ever start an IV on a baby. I would rather start an IV on a baby than any age of pediatrics. Yeah. It's just easier because it's the comfort zone of what I know. It's mm-hmm. just exactly unless the it's a opposite. chunky baby. Because chunky babies oh. are so hard <laughs> for me. That foot. The smaller they are, or the, the younger, foot. it's the usually easier. Because yeah. I will find that little foot vein in that yeah. fatty and call it a day. That was definitely your it's, forte for sure. The IVs are just literally the exact opposite of an ABG. 
Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Like you draw ABGs. Okay, so. so it's so for an IV, you're going in at the same angle as the skin, basically, yeah. or the same angle as the vein. For an for an ABG, you're going in at a complete ninety degree angle. So I'm like pencil down, right, tip down, and that's and arterial. That's arterial. So then you probably like easy IOs though. Oh yeah, because you're just drilling mm, into the that bone. That is freaking awesome. So yeah. we got. How to often do, are you doing an IO? Um, you know, there was a call last year that I did with one of our former night shift nurses who's now on days and we got to drill it right in to- So for those of you who are listening, an IO is essentially intraosseous and it goes directly into the bone, Directly into Into the the bone bone marrow, is that- well, it, we've eventually get into that area. That's where it's going to perfuse That's where everything. That's it's going to absorb in, the medication. Infuse, but yeah. yeah, in emergency situations, if we can't get IV access and we're trying and we're poking and we're not getting it, and we are in an emergency situation where we need to give you life-saving drugs, we're drilling into your bone. There are only so many times you can poke a kid. Right? So I want to go to the arterial back to that. So because we so rarely do, I mean, there are some nurses who do it, but it's a little more nerve wracking, right? Because like, the pick nurses at our facility can do arterial blood gases. Yeah. Otherwise, it's only the respiratory therapist. She's I mean, like, I got this. <laughs> I, I mean, I think mo- the I'm majority of even they just like, bleed. yeah, they bleed. <laughs> they bleed. You just got to hold it for a couple minutes, <laughs> 15, 30 seconds, technically. But I mean, if you just, you're just literally poking it and you get that red flashback and there you go. Have you ever go. accidentally started an IV and yeah, that's oh heart, yes. artery, Tori? Uh, you know what? Actually, no. Like, why is this blood so pink right and oxygenated and gushing out of the catheter. I think I'm in an artery. That's oh, why you always shit. check before you, you always have to make sure you're getting the well, proper. all been in new grad ones, Victoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's the difference too. You guys have your ways of checking for proper placement yeah. for IVs Correct. and then for blood gases, our, our way of checking is we do an Allen's test. So what's the reason you would draw an ABG versus a, a cap gas? Like what's your, honestly, they're all going to give you mostly the same results. The ABG, the difference is going to be the oxygenation. Of course, that's really the only difference that you're going to see is my patient truly oxygenating. If they're PO2, if you think you're getting a VBG or a CBG and your PO2 is 300, obviously you're not getting a venous gas. Right. right? Did you ever work ECMO? No, I did not. I did want to, but I never did that because I ended up coming to transport. So what is ECMO for people listening? Because that's an option for respiratory therapists Absolutely. to do ECMO teams. Mm-hmm. So extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, right? It's a way to oxygenate um, and remove CO2 from the blood um, without harming the heart or the lungs. And there's two types of ECMO. There's VV and VA. And depending on the type that you're using, you're doing total lung protection strategy or you're doing cardiac protection. So an RT, absolutely, that is part of our scope of practice. And as you guys know, you see the RTs on um, the ECMO team, but it is within our scope. Yeah. And they're running the pumps and that is so, ner- <laughs> I, that's the one part I wouldn't want to do. I would love to, a bedside ECMO. Okay. Yeah. I've taken care of pump. NICU babies on ECMO mm-hmm. as the nurse, but I'm like, I'm going to take care of this baby and you take care Bear of this the pump, pump and mm-hmm. we are both going to do our own thing. If anyone's right. seen the setup of ECMO, it's gnarly. It, it's very, it's intense. Super intense. I mean, you think about having multiple pumps running, having your a whole giant machine that's controlling the heart or the lungs or both. Yeah. And a ventilator as well. Right. 
Okay, and so now so, I don't know if you guys know, have you seen the patients that they're walking on ECMO? What? Oh my God, what? <laughs> yes. How are you not completely So you gotta look snow? it up. There are so many, they're doing a lot of adults that are doing walking ECMO. When I was working in CV, I, I remember stay away from <laughs> having gone from NICU to CV or when I was working on a float pool, kids walking around with chest tubes was gnarly. I was like, wait, you can walk around with a chest tube? What? And two chest tubes. I'm like, these kids are killing it walking around. And I'm like, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. There's some hospitals in LA that are doing, they're doing weaning stuff while the patient's still intubated and having them walk around. Absolutely nuts. I feel like the amount of, I don't know. Cause I always just, am like, if you're intubated, you need to be sedated. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like wild what would you say is the biggest difference between adults and pediatrics? Oh, wow. Without offending people, what would I say? No, what? you can offend No, them. no, no. <laughs> Unleash. Unleash. I think pediatric and neonatal RTs are more involved to a certain extent. And, and I know I'm going to get hell for this. But after working in both, the amount of knowledge that these Ben, right? Ben Lite. Oh my God. He's like another super God of RT. Draw out the entire heart to you um, in any type of, of, of function you're asking or any type of defect you're asking for. And his knowledge of the patient as a whole, his knowledge that I'm not just reading off vent settings. I actually know what these cardiac meds, how they work, what the whole process is for the, this patient and how it's affecting them. It's a different, um, a different world for those RTs. Adult RTs, definitely. Um, I think here's where the, another difference is, is adult RTs, you're seeing multiple codes. There's almost a traumatic side of it because of how many code blues you're attending. As a new grad, actually looking back, there was my second year in, I was t- like 23 years old and I took the entire summer off because of how many code blues I had seen. It was absolutely nuts. I yeah. couldn't even think it back. I want to get teary-eyed about it. But it was so much where I, I did. I had to take the entire summer off because if, I've seen multiple people die a day. You guys all know we want things convenient anytime, anywhere through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. So why don't you make that your therapy? And you know, Tori and I are big on therapy. Mm -hmm. We're so happy to be partnered with BetterHelp. It's an online platform where it provides therapy of all kinds to you. And it's Mm -hmm. customized and it's tailored, specific and unique to you. You get 10% off your first month if you use our code SELFIE at checkout. That's betterhelp.com forward slash selfie for 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com forward slash selfie, betterhelp.com forward slash selfie. All right, let's get back into the show. Yeah. Which is like, and we don't talk about that enough. And we we do highlight here on, on the yeah. show, like burnout, right? It's like, yeah. that is so real. It was real. Yeah, It is real. It's still, especially today with the pandemic going on, um, even going to see my students. Um, oh my God. Within two hours at one hospital, they had 11 code blues. And yeah, I want to definitely get into that yeah. in a minute too, just because <laughs> I feel like you have a really good pulse on what's been going on yeah. throughout this pandemic because it's crazy, but just to even like touch on the burnout from a respiratory therapist standpoint, I don't think people realize too, when you're doing end of life care and you're removing someone off of the vent, 
That's the respiratory therapist yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yes. So it's like- I actually had a discussion and I'm, I'm calling it a discussion, but it was more one of those dang Facebook arguments with some random- You're so good <laughs> <with us. laughs> With an, an, an NP or a C, was it in, no, I don't think it was an NP. What are the other ones? CRNA maybe? I think it was a CRNA because they do the anesthesia stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from the East Nurse Coast, who, to, yes, thank you, who basically told me RTs don't do anything, literally oh, over and over wow. and over. Shots and, fired. and so of course the one person that she's arguing with, I'm like, I'm in, involved in every single aspect of freaking RT. I do everything that I can possibly do within my scope. So we went back and forth and I'm telling her, yeah, we intubate. She, she's saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're going to call the CRNA. I've literally when seen do we ever debate. call the CRNA? <laughs> yeah. Never. Yeah. I, I don't right. I don't think I've ever seen a, seen a CRNA, at least here in California. It's very state right. specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I get it. More respect to those nurses because I know they go through a ton of, of education and schooling, but don't take away from what the RTs do either. What do you feel like you're seeing right now in time as far as like the pandemic? I'm and- seeing hell out there. No joke. So I'm one of those people. And when this first surge came around, it really wasn't a surge for California, right? Correct. We're like, we're getting, we're losing our hours. There's no patients in the hospital. What the heck is really going on? We hear about New York being slammed, but yeah. we were yeah. kind of coasting yeah. Yeah. at the time. Or even Washington, right? Yeah, and Washington State. now we are truly seeing that surge to the point where, you know, I get to go to different hospitals and see my students. And when I do... That four to one ratio that I mentioned earlier for RTs, that's out the window. There are, they're going out with 12 vents. So how do you do proper care on a patient when you have 12 vents? And this is not 12 vents for just one RT. You have 15, 20, 30 RTs in some of these hospitals all going out with this many vents or making makeshift stuff to make this high flow system work on a patient that because they're running out of equipment, that's still a thing. Mm -hmm. How many patients say non-pandemic time, would there be like on a ventilator at a random given day? Yeah, It could be, so unlike NICU or pediatric settings where we have our wave during the winter of RSV, um, it's a little bit different. There's a flu season, but it's generally spread across, right? Not the flu spread across, but intubations and ventilators spread across the year. So anywhere from maybe 10 vents to 20 vents. And that's like just a normal average day. At a community hospital. And And we're talking about, about, so local hospitals in Orange County, for example, I'm seeing 120 vents, 100 vents. That is insane. insane. It is insane. I don't think people really understand how absurd that is. I mean, I know um, one of the facilities where I work, they had, so originally there was two ICUs and up till now, I think they have converted units. I think there's a total of seven ICUs Yeah, people are putting ICUs in the basements. Yeah. I mean- Or holding ICU patients in in the the emergency department. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And contracts, of course, everybody's picking up travel contracts to come help, thank God, Mm -hmm. but still not enough staffing. It's definitely not enough. So can you speak to the culture of RT? So like in the nursing world, we have a nice little nurses eat their young, right? Like, is that something in the RT world? Like, can you speak to that a little bit of like the culture of it? In the adult world, I don't think the RTs eat their young so readily, but in the pediatric and neonatal world, absolutely that happens. Um, kind of turns into a little mean girl session, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you write it out. You write it out, you prove yourself and then you're good. Yeah. Cause I think peds world, it's, it's 
the stakes are higher. Things happen. I, I mean, I can't speak to adults, but things happen so quickly. And if you're not on your game, I mean, because we we've talked about this a little bit, the difference between like someone bullying you versus someone really trying to coach you and step up to the game. And I feel like that I'm sure would apply to your. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it can be this. It's the same scenario. I don't think it's any different. It just depends on the environment or the culture of the hospital. And then, of course, what what, if you're working in peds versus adults? But you're right. Everything can change at the drop of the dime. So that experienced nurse is going to give you that evil eye or that experienced RT is going to give you that evil eye. And what the fuck are you doing or Mm -hmm. not doing? And why aren't you stepping up to the plate for this patient? Just move the hell out of the way. I got this shit. That's basically what's going to happen. How about communication and like rapport between RTs and nurses or RTs and doctors or the different like specialties and practices? Like, let's talk about the culture of you that. You are asking me loaded questions. I know. I know. I love it. We want to you know that you, you okay. bring it. It's loaded, but bring it. We want to hear. We want to know. Communication between any ICU nurse, adult, NICU, PICU, and an RT 99% of the time is spot on. You guys understand what we do. You, they appreciate what we do. They see us in those critical moments and they're, it's a team effort. There's respect. There is, what do you want to do? What's going to, what's the plan? This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. When Let's things make go it work. south, I am, where's my yep. RT? Exactly. 100%. Call my RT. 100%. Versus I need them surge. there I, yeah. before the doctor even. Right. Like, yeah. I need my RT right. when things start to go south. Yes. Versus a floor nurse, not necessarily just med surge, but any floor nurse where they're calling a stat while we're in the middle of a code, our fourth code for the day, and they want a stat pulse ox check or a stat IS or a my, come put my patient on two liters nasal cannula. It's just completely different. The world. dynamics are so different. Very different. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I know, you know, Sam and I could speak to this about how much we lean on our RTs. Like in the NICU world, I mean, there's, you know, I, every NICU is a little different, but in our both NICUs that I work, you don't touch your patient. If it's an intubated, especially micro or intubated baby, like you don't touch your patient unless your RT is there. And I think that's just, it shows the amount of respect, mm-hmm. but just like, I wouldn't mess with your pumps, right? I don't care. Even if it's beeping, Hey, your alarm's going off on mm-hmm. your pump. Maybe I'll nag you about it, but I'm not going to go and sh- except for transport. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do you, boo. You do you. Everything's different in transport. Different, that's yes. a whole different yeah. ball game. Wait, can we go to that really quick? What's it like to fly? Like, oh my God. Everybody wants to know what's it I like. I love it. There's sometimes where we may or may not get a little turbulence and I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> I know. What about flying um, IFR? What's IFR? Okay. Oh yeah, tell God. them what IFR is. So basically, I mean, I could, but you're the IFR star of the show. is where the pilots are flying based on radar. So there's either cloud coverage or they can't see. And there's been times where we've flown through big clouds um, just to get above all of whatever weather is going on. And I literally have to close my eyes in that moment because only because I'm claustrophobic. Otherwise I'm up for the adventure, but flying is awesome. It really is. Yeah. And I, I mean, it doesn't get old, but you get used to it. Right. So maybe a little spark goes away, but it's still yeah. there. It's kind of like a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite flight like path? Ooh. Like visually, like, sightseeing when you look out the window. So mm-hmm. on nights, anything over the cities, right? Yeah, like um, There was LA. a flight where we went to Catalina. I did not like that. And only because you don't see anything. There's You don't see anything above you. You don't see anything below you. Yeah, maybe it was You're in a black time. hole. Right. <laughs> 
But during the nighttime, since we get to do um, both, since we're swing shift, right? Um, nighttime over the cities, daytime over any of my wonderful hiking trails. <laughs> Wait, so, okay, mile-wise or maybe time-wise, what's your longest um, flight been? Because Sam brought this up, which I didn't even think about. If you're on, let's say you started, you know, at three, whatever, 12 o'clock, and you have, you're transporting a patient and you don't get back. Like what's the longest time you've been on a shift or like you're, you know, the farthest you've gone? I mean, some are, some teams are gone the entire shift and then a little and, and some. And after. Um, and if they leave halfway through their shift on a critical call, you have a NICU who's possible candidate for ECMO, um, multiple drips that they've coded twice. Um, maybe they can't even get a line, no UA, no UV, nothing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you're going to be, first of all, at the facility, making sure your patient's stable enough to fly. And then second, um, en route, just. You can be at the bedside yeah, just for hours, hours before you're even stable enough to leave on a transport. So the furthest we've like flown is like Las Vegas. Yeah. That's so, far. I mean, the and yeah, helicopter. helicopter wise. So we, I mean, fixed swing, the team has gone to Mexico. The team has gone to Hawaii. We, we go, go to NorCal, NorCal Washington, Arizona. Arizona. They've gone all over. Yeah. But helicopter, the furthest we've been helicopter is Vegas. Is Vegas. Yeah. But I know, yeah, I talked- you never know what you're walking into at the bedside. Sometimes the report you get is a very and the different patient picture. you get are completely two different and it goes Situations. both ways. You, sometimes you get report and it's not to knock any of those uh, re- nurses that are giving us report, but they have multiple patients where luckily for us, we only have that one during mm-hmm. that call. Right. But it could be my patient's super stable. Oh, they they were up walking around, they're talking, they're awake and alert. And then we get there and they're lethargic they're and their BP is bottoming out and or non non readable or non readable and they're cold and, and they have no temperature <laughs> floppy. So what's the longest you've been on a shift? Cause I know that would affect like you guys even getting back. Well, yeah, we don't have the option. You don't have the right? option. So right. if they're ask, there's no asking, do you want to stay over? It's, oh, I've stayed over yeah. till 1 p.m. Yeah. On a are night, shift. night shift. So I was 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. No, no, no. I was 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So I was supposed to be off at 6 a.m. And I was just getting down to San Diego at 6.30. So 30 mm-hmm. minutes past when I was supposed to be getting off shift, I was just arriving right. to the patient on a critically ill That's a big dynamic for you guys. I got back and was done with the shift at 1 p.m. Plus it's, charting. Yeah, all plus that charting, crap. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it could vary with before pandemic and even now we're starting to pick up again, thank God. But pre-pandemic, we were extremely busy. The number two team in the nation for Mercy Air as far as calls go. So... We're busy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can we talk about M and M's? Yeah. I okay, because I didn't even know what an M M&M. and M. Wait. Okay. Oh. First of all, what is an M M&M? and M? And this is a big aspect for flight and or anyone on an emergency transport team. Because I think most. I think do these this. are done in a lot of ICU settings and ED settings as well, where you have code like situations where people anything critical where yeah. they think um, it could be a point of education, or maybe if something could have been done better. Or why did you choose those things that actually worked out really well, especially for the team? M&M stands for mortality and morbidity. So those meetings highlight patient care scenarios where a patient either passed away or maybe had an undesirable outcome, or maybe the outcome even ended up being good, but the situation had 
things, a lot going on and a lot of moving pieces where it would be a good learning experience where we could maybe improve and do better next time. So we sit down and discuss that with doctors, doctors the team, the full team, sometimes nurses, pharmacy, yeah. yeah, everybody involved. The, what's crazy is that a lot of people for us where um, in our center, we, we're one of the ones who actually get to join in on M&Ms where other departments don't have their staff join in on M&Ms. Yeah, you know they exist in NICU. You guys just aren't invited to them. <laughs> Rude. No, they really do though. So the doctors will right. get together and they'll discuss this case of this baby that passed or maybe had a not so good outcome and they'll go over what was done wrong, what could have been done better, all these learning experiences. But yeah, those happen and just nursing's not involved, which is kind of a bummer because we learn a so lot. much from being able to go to M&Ms and we're the ones who actually kind of own it and we present our own case. case. So we went on this call, we arrived at the bedside at this time. This is what the patient looked like when we showed up. This yeah, this is, is what, is what we did. This is the interventions we took. This were These were the things to how the patient responded. It's really good because it gives us a platform as a transport team to show them and showcase what we're doing and to back up how we make our decisions. Because they will question you, well, why'd you give that med? Why'd you do this? Why didn't you give that med? Why were you at the bedside so long? Okay, well, there's multiple reasons for that, right? There's multiple reasons why we intubated or we didn't intubate or we did a gas or we why didn't do Why are your bed settings then? Exactly. Um, I want to go back to this because it is a, a point of, um, I think, importance for nurses too. When you're choosing, when you're speaking back to students, is it important or critical to choose the school that you go to? Yes. Um, I don't know how it is for nursing, if it matters what school you guys go to, but for respiratory, it absolutely is. Now, generally speaking, the education is supposed to be the same by the accrediting body, right? Um, and it is for the most part, but what makes a difference is the clinical sites that you're going to go to. So every school has clinical sites that they're assigned to, not assigned to, but that their DCE, their director of clinical education goes out and gets contracts for. And those contracts could be anywhere from subacutes to LTACs to a community or um, university type hospitals. And depending on what type of RT you may feel you want to be, that's probably the school you should focus on. Tell us about the different degrees that you would need or could get in this field. Because I feel like kind of like nursing, there's a lot of variability. There is. So you have to have an associate's degree as of right now. Um, just like nursing, you guys went to BSN and your whole 80% bachelor degree, right? For most hospitals, at least for magnet hospitals. Um, RT is the same thing, but we have a 2035 or 2030. It's one or, one or the other goal for BSRT. Um, there are schools that graduate you strictly just BSRT. And, and that's can, bachelor's? Yeah, that's bachelor's. Okay. So bachelor of science in respiratory therapy. Some of them are BSRC. It's just Bachelor's of Science in Respiratory Care. And then there's even master's programs where you can go straight into respiratory, getting your master's degree only. it's Obviously, it's going to be a little bit longer, but you walk out with your master's degree. I mean, those would, just like nursing, you have to go in with a bachelor's degree already, right? So why would you like want your master's degree or what would you do with a master's degree in respiratory therapy? What kind of opportunities or doors This is, is a that big open? question and there's always a fight in the respiratory world about whether it's even worth it to get Thank a bachelor's degree. nursing. Really? That's yeah. good to know. Seriously, mm -hmm. that's good mm -hmm. to know because yeah. the fight is always like, why do that? There's no point. What am I going to do differently? Well, the fact that it's pushing our field forward and for bachelor's degree, 
fields outside of nursing, um, that's when reimbursement with Medi-Cal and Medicare occur. And a lot of people don't realize that. So respiratory, a lot of procedures that we do are unit-based or point-based. And then the way that they're reimbursed is based on um, the things that we actually do rather than the procedurally. So a nurse can get, a nurse's thing, uh, interventions are more reimbursed because you guys ha- have that professional status with all the insurance, with respiratory, we are not considered professionals because we're not an entry-level BS or bachelor's degree program. So that's the push for it. The benefit is, of course, you're going to start at a little bit higher rate in the hospitals, depending um, if you go in with a bachelor's or a master's degree, it sets you up for more advancement in education. If you want to go and be a teacher, it sets you up for advancement within your hospital. If you want to be a supervisor or a manager or even outside of that, and, and I know a few RTs here in California who've gone up the ranks and are CEOs. And get it? Yeah, yeah. Not anything I'd be interested. Think, more power to them. Yeah, uh, you know it's interesting. So we have that conversation also in the nurse world, and I agree. I feel like the you know as far as advancing education, it really does drive the profession forward. And I think honestly, you know, even me going back to school because I'm currently in school at the moment. It really does force you. I mean, like I'm having to look up, you know, evidence-based research. I'm having to really like tune into, you know, how to really become a better provider, global things like, you know, and I think that's how to be a better manager, how to, you know, be able to give information to people in a better streamlined way, um, how to touch patients, how to affect patients. Yeah, I think when I did my bachelor's, it made me a little bit more cocky just because, hey, I got a bachelor's, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but when I did my master's, it humbled me. Um, it really did. And I, yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I think it teaches you to ask why. Yes. More and to question things and not in a cocky way, like you said, but to you're looking at things from multiple perspectives now. And I think that's what higher education advanced degrees does, it doesn't necessarily make you better. Right. Yeah. It makes you think about things in a different way than you're used to. Mm-hmm. And that starts to make you question the why. And then it kind of challenges you, you to say, am I doing this the best way? Right. Could there be a better way? Well, what might that be? Well, what does the research say? And it kind of starts to bring things all together. You also realize going through your master's program that there's people who either put a lot more effort into it and it shows and they're so smart mm-hmm. um, just because they're looking at the whole picture rather than just, like you said, just one or two things. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at the whole evidence-based stuff or yeah. I, I want to know why, why this, why that, why did you do, or why didn't this happen? So when did you kind of decide I want to pursue my master's degree? I was on a roll for a minute. So I did my bachelor's <laughs> and You're then, crazy, by I the way. I know you are. You guys, like Monique? <laughs> Is insane. She is like, how many degrees and certifications can I put behind my name? And then she'll work a 12-hour shift and then go run a half marathon (laughs) when she gets off a shift. Or work a whole shift and want to go hiking on some (laughs) 15-mile uphill hike. And I'm like, listen, you nut. Like, count me out. I just, I feel like downtime Waste my time. This girl yeah. has more energy than anyone I've ever met. So the fact that she has 900 degrees does not surprise me. <laughs> so I started my bachelor's degree a week later, started my master's after I finished that. And then literally the next day started my doctorate, which unfortunately I didn't finish. Um, I got it's based ABD all but dissertation, but that was hard. Would you finish it? Would you go I've back to it? I thought about it, but still could. Yeah, I've thought about know. it, but 
I think right now I'm focusing on getting a Bugatti, which will never happen. (laughs) I feel the same way. I want a doctorate, but I don't want it bad enough yet to do the amount of work that it requires. Mm -hmm. I want it, but I'm not quite there yet. One class, I had 10 books for one class. And I'd rather have a Bugatti. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know a Bugatti will never happen, but. Yeah, I right. can dream. Are we going to win the lottery? We're, we're going to win the lotto. Oh my I know God. it. Right? We did a That's work tonight. pool. Yeah. We're how many of us? Oh my God, 35. <laughs> 35 of us are going to split 800 million. It's, I think it's like 900, 900 right million. now. Right? Yeah, you guys got this. And then we can just retire and not everyone just, you know. Our hospital's not going to have a transport team anymore <laughs> because we're all winning the lottery and retiring. It's going to be pretty cool. I want to dive into you being um, a professor. So, can you speak to this a little bit? Like, how did you, first of all, get into this? And then what is it like, you know, moving into that role, I guess? How long have you been teaching? What did you start out teaching? Give us the whole. I've been teaching for 15 years. Oh my gosh. I don't even think I knew that. Yeah. Can I tell you why I got into teaching? Yes, Yes, please. Okay. So I was working at a hospital and this guy who irritated the crap out of me at the moment, at the time was teaching. And I'm like, oh, He's not even that smart. Why is he teaching? He is very smart, by the way, now that I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I was young enough at the time I told you, I'm like, I was just super, I think all of us go through those salty moments in our life. Oh yeah. Queen. Queen of salt over here. I was like, if he could do it, I could totally do it. And then he was such a nice guy to me. He's like, oh, I have an opening if you're interested. like, yeah, I'm going to show you I'm interested. So that's how I started in teaching. And then I started at a local um, school by, in Orange County and then stayed there for quite a few years, ended up um, going to a different program. And then now I teach for Concordia University's uh, BSRT program and for their bachelor's in healthcare science program. And then I'm the director of clinical education at another school in Riverside County. Hi, I'm Monique and I have 800 jobs. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what's Jamaican. crazy? Because Sam was telling me, she was, you know, telling me about you. And I literally had no idea that there's so there's so many things in the RT world. I had no idea that these were even things. Like, this is amazing. Yeah, I think there are a ton of things that we can do. Yeah. Um, with that being said, nursing, of course, is more expansive than RT for the most part, of course. But there's still so many things, so many options you have. And I mean, there was a point in my life about five years ago where I was so involved in my state organization that I even wanted to be a a city council member. So that was my goal at the time to run for city council. Wait, can we talk about that? Because you're the the secretary for California Society for Respiratory Care. Is that correct? I am, yes. What do you do? Yeah, what do you do? So uh, I got involved with CSRC uh, about five years ago. And when I did that, I initially started as government affairs chair. So that was for the entire state. So we would go and lobby. We would go and speak with different uh, state representatives, mayors, governors, um, city council members, and talk to them about RTs and what we do and push for legislation that helps to improve the care for our patients. Um, from that point, uh, we traveled to DC. We pretty much did a lot of lobbying Um, And from that point, I helped to make sure our license was protected. And then I ran for secretary, for state secretary. And state secretary, part of it is just that, right? You are the secretary for your board. So you're at every meeting, you're taking minutes, um, you're making sure things are going smoothly. I'm the third in line for presidency, although I do not want to be the state president. Are you going to assassinate people just to become president? (laughs) 
No. Put okay. out a hit. Put out a hit. <laughs> we know a guy. No. <laughs> I'm Italian. I, mean, I am part Italian too. So <laughs> those concrete boots come in handy. But I don't. I don't want to be president. I see how much work that person does, and even though I do a lot, I know my limits. I do have a, a cap. It's Even really, you're advocating for your profession though. Yeah. So what's the coolest thing you guys have accomplished? The coolest as thing. As far as like even lobbying and legislation wise. Yeah. The coolest thing that I've seen is making sure ECMO is written into our um, scope of practice. And that was done a few years ago. Um, a couple of other things are protecting our license and making sure there's um, no infringement on our practice by others who think they can manage ventilators. So who owns the vents? Tell the world. The RTs own the vents. Don't Do not the come, vents. A, c- come in and ruin your home. Even and- silent. I mean, I don't, it's just a point of even silencing it can I'm guilty. harm a patient. Yeah. And because that RT doesn't know what alarm was going off. I mean, they will once they go up to it, but just, in, hey, I silenced your vent. Something was going on. I'm not sure. You may want to go in there. That's fine. And then for nurses, you guys, you know, of course- hitting that 100% O2 button or on in NICU, 40 or 50% O2 mm-hmm. button, mm-hmm. but nothing. I see yeah. Sam's face. No, oh my I, mean, God. I will say this too, like from hospital I know. to hospital, it's different cultures. Like yes. sometimes like, I mean, we, I work at two different places and I, the culture is so different in one versus the other. And it's interesting because I feel like in one, it's like, I literally do not touch the vent unless, and then the other one, I feel like a lot of the nurses will mess around and then not communicate. And I would imagine that that's really frustrating. It is. There was a time where I was working in another hospital and the doctor. Oh, okay. that annoys yeah. me. I remember <laughs> one on, doctor medical. coming up at like six in the morning on my high frequency yes. oscillator baby. And he's like, I don't like that chest wiggle. And oh cranks the God. vent up. And now my baby is shaking and levitating entire off baby. the bed. <laughs> I remember And this. I'm sitting there like, like and my RT and I just look at each other and our eyes are locked and we're both just like, what are you doing? Like, get out of our room. Do not touch our ventilator. Exactly. And it's a matter for us, for nurses and for RTs, it's stepping up and not, not just protecting your job. But and then cranks your the patient. baby up to like 80% to oxygen, which we don't do. In we are very <laughs> conservative with our oxygen use in the NICU, especially on micro preemies. And my blood was boiling. So I can't even imagine my <laughs> RT because mm. we were both just like the audacity. <laughs> We've been awake all night. You show up at 6 a.m. and just start cranking things up. Getting ready to chop off some fingers. Yeah. It reminds me of like that scene from The Hangover (laughs) when he's getting gas and the old guy is like looking at his car and he's like, don't even look at it. Oh my God. That's right. Walk Walk away. away. Walk away. Walk away. That's like you guys with the vent. Don't even look at it. That's right. Walk away. Oh my God. And then, I mean, just definitely the RTs own the vents. Just, it's a, I wouldn't go and touch anything of anybody else's. What about different facilities and vent settings? Because I've worked at like one facility where the RT will draw a gas, look at the gas, and they'll go change all their vent settings. And then- So that's not- based on protocol. Okay. Yeah. And then I've been at other hospitals where they get the gas and then the doctor will tell them, okay, wean the pressure, wean the rate or do this. And it's not even necessarily what is maybe even best for the patient or what the RT would have done. Maybe the doctor's a little more old school- and their practice of how they like manage vent settings and stuff. But I just, I've observed how different it is where 
doctors versus it is RTs different. Some some places settings. are more physician ran with the settings, and then other ones are protocol based because our RTs have been trained enough so in that manner. Not that none of us have been trained in that way, but more relied upon because of the either amount of patients or the relationships they have with the physicians. So yeah, um, if there's a protocol in place, which is great. I'm changing the settings based on what the gas is or what the end titles are or what my TCOMs are. Yeah, I personally love working somewhere where the RTs have the autonomy to make Me their too. own vent changes yeah. without having to get a physician order because yeah. they're the ones who've been up with the patient all night. They know maybe they've had them three days in a row too and they know how well they respond to changes right. where it's like, oh, this patient can handle this sort of jump or this patient is so sensitive. I have to do very, very small. But not, or not just that. If you, once a physician's off their run of days, like they're on for a week and then the next doc is coming on and you're on in that time. Mm-hmm. Now everything has changed. Yeah. That's a big dynamic. Yes. Yes. 100%. So it's better when it's protocol based and that RT is pretty much running. I have to say, that's why I do love being on transport though. Cause the RTs will go and will intubate a kid and they just are like, do their settings. There's no talk to the doctor about what they should be. They make that call and then in route, they'll draw gases while we're up in the air in the back of an ambulance and adjust accordingly. And they manage it all like autonomy wise. Well, that's a critical aspect of they know their shit, right? It's like, those are the most experienced RTs. And I think that's, yeah, it's amazing. Is there anything you want to myth bust about RT profession? We are not just freaking neb jockeys. Okay. We don't just get breathing treatments. As a matter of fact, in some hospitals, RTs don't even give breathing treatments. It's the nurses. So that's not all we're there to do. And I know that's in some floors, that's all you see. Um, but it's definitely not. And then we're not a certificate program. It doesn't take six months to become an RT. It's the same amount of time as a nurse, but we're focused on two things. I mean, we do learn about the other things and how they interact, of course, the kidneys, um, everything else. Skeletal system. Yeah, because the kidneys will affect your blood exactly. gas. Exactly. Oh, well. absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Where do you see the projection of the RT profession going? Right now, we're re- really focused on telehealth. Um, Whoa. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know you guys didn't no, know. I didn't know that. <laughs> no idea. We're out of touch. Edumacate us. <laughs> yeah, edumacate. So telehealth, as you guys know, it's needed for a lot of patients, especially in rural areas. So um, before covid uh, the number two killer of people across the U.S. was COPD. Uh, so a lot of COPD patients are in rural areas, which means they have harder access to medicine and to medical providers. So having an RT with a BSRT minimum, um, being able to provide telehealth and instructions and, and really assess the patient uh, gives more eyes on the patient and better outcome is what they've already proven in some other states. So California right now, that's where we're going. I love that. That is amazing. So what about just in general, I feel like the role of respiratory therapists has either not necessarily been downplayed, but just the lack of knowledge in the public. I I can tell you when I was in nursing school, I didn't really know that RTs existed. Yeah, same. They Which didn't talk about me. it much. I, I swear, I'm sorry. Don't shoot yeah, the messenger. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but like they just did mm-hmm. it. And Tori and I went to nursing school in different states. She went to Arizona. I went here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And it was never really talked about mm-hmm. in class. Wow. And then in the clinical setting, we didn't see them either because either on the floors, that's where you actually kind of get the most hands-on. Right. Their RTs aren't utilized as much right. because they're in the critical care settings. Right. In the critical care settings, Nursing students are kind of like 
yeah, very hands off. I, right. So I, my exposure was so limited until I graduated and worked in an ICU. And then I realized how that is my new best friend. Yeah. But what shocks me, especially for Arizona specifically, because in Arizona, the scope, they really utilize their scope yes. of practice to the max. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge health system out there that RTs run the entire pick team. There's no nurse on their pick team out there. So that shocks me that you went to school out there. And yeah. University of Arizona, yeah. baby. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, even how they utilize their providers in Arizona is very different. Even in the, from the nurse to NPs to PAs, I feel like, I don't know if that's because I think in the metropolitan cities or, in, you know, LA, Orange County, all these big ones, it's very medical driven, but it's interesting because NPs had a lot more scope of practice. They were utilized with their uh, full school scope of practice. And I think it's the same thing with RTs. A lot of RTs could intubate. Yeah. Um, that was, it, it is, it's very different. And yeah. I don't know if that's because, you know, a lot of physicians want to go to the big hospitals or, you know, it's, they don't want to live in Tucson, Arizona. Right. So <laughs> a lot of, you know, the providers that are there get to do a lot more. I don't know. Do you feel like 2020 though has finally brought recognition upon to the respiratory field because of this pandemic? Has broken the door down. It has absolutely, but there's still a lot of work to do. And the work, as just I'm surprised to hear, but just like you guys know, comes from those who are RTs. So I can't sit here and bitch about what is my profession doing for me or what is my state society or national society doing for me. You have to get involved, and we're not going to get that recognition unless people step up. Mm-hmm. And I'm big on I'm a big advocate for that. Well, that's why we even wanted to have you here yeah. because a lot of our listeners are nursing students or maybe want to be future nurses or work in healthcare. And we want to really highlight this profession because we've seen in the middle of this pandemic, how everyone's like nurses are heroes and frontline providers. No, mm-hmm. these respiratory therapists are this managing year, the ventilators sure. of all these COVID patients. They are front line yeah. and center. I mean, last week I was telling my husband that I went to go see students and I seen an RT almost break down and cry. Like literally tell me she can't handle anymore because every day she's coming in with 12, 13 vents. And that's when do you have time to really assess your patient in that time? So you don't. I was telling Sam and we've talked about this at uh, one of the facilities I work at. They, the RTs are stretched so thin. It, I've had a couple shifts where I barely even see my RT and we had a couple littles on hi-fi. And I'm like, I literally was stranded upstream because I didn't have my RT because they were getting pulled to other units to care for, you know, a lot of, they're they're stretched so thin right now. And that's where I think the fact that we have not been acknowledged in the past is hurting us. And that's what's hurting us because of that is the fact that not enough RTs are stepping up. And when I say that they're not stepping up, they're not getting involved. So yeah, they're stepping up and taking care of their patients, but they're not stepping up enough to be involved in the profession. And like in terms of advocacy. In terms of advocacy. I think that's so on the forefront right now. Even in nursing world, I think that's a big aspect of a lot of, uh, a lot of us are finally kind of seeing that and the importance of it and, you know, advancing, for example, advancing our degrees and lobbying and going and trying to get involved on a bigger scale. It's so important, which I think is like an amazing aspect of you. You guys have tons and tons of nurses compared to RTs, right? Statewide, nationwide. So you have more um, advocacy going on, more lobbying going on. But that doesn't mean that we. I mean, we only have like ten percent of our profession for respiratory involved. So that's this is a result of that. Mm-hmm. And how short staffed is respiratory right now? 
in the adult hospitals specifically, or especially, I mean, I know right now we're going through a surge in the pediatric hospitals as well, but in the adult hospitals, they're taking three times their workload, three times. So you have hospitals um, on, on the coast who normally run 25 to 30 RTs. They need 50 RTs and they don't have it. Mm -hmm. And on top of people calling in. So maybe going out with 15 or 16 RTs when you need 30 or 35. Yeah. So what would be your best advice for a new graduate nurse or even just a new doctor that's starting a residency, anyone kind of coming into healthcare that would be working along with RTs? Get to know your RTs in the hospital, whatever. If you're a nursing student, go and ask them questions. Um, I had actually started a little program in one of the hospitals I worked with where we did classes with the nursing students um, in the hospital while they were there. We did like an hour or two lecture with them or at other hospitals but during their your nursing residency program, you're being taught by the RT as well. Go seek them out, especially if you're doing an ICU rotation. And if you're not as hands-on as normal, go in and seek them out. Ask questions about why the ventilator is working this way. Why are you choosing these settings? How, you know, what is your day like? Mm-hmm. Understand so I that. I have to say, when I used to teach peds clinical, now I just teach theory, but when I taught clinical and my students were on the floor and they would be in the NICU, PICU or CVICU, I would tell them, I well, I knew the respiratory therapist there, so I would ask one of them, "Hey, I have a student on this floor. Will you go pull them into a room and show them the vent and teach them the ventilator or teach them about the CPAP?" Could a nurse do it? Sure, maybe. Could an RT do it better? Absolutely. So that's what I would always have them do. And then, actually, one of the things that I'm kind of I'm going to toot my own horn, but <laughs> when I was a NICU nurse, I precepted a lot of new grad nurses and. I went through the residency at my hospital. And then when I started precepting, I really pushed our educator to say, hey, I think that the nurses should shadow a whole day with the respiratory therapist. Is that where that got started? That's actually wow. genius. That yeah. was started yes. from me. As and far as looping, Yes, they as should. far as looping. Yeah. And with an RT, that, and that, carried that over was my to- brainchild. But I just felt like I learned so much from the RTs when I started out as a new grad nurse. And there was so many parts of the job that the RT did and I didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. It would help me to know. So I really pushed and said, hey, during their residency, can they spend one whole shift with an RT? Yes. And I think that has been a phenomenal educational process for the NICU. I know Sam and I, Sam and I, we can speak to this directly, how much we truly learned from our RTs. Like some of the things that I, I, use today and I, how I care for my patients is literally because of the RTs that we worked with. Yeah. I learned developmental positioning in the NICU from a respiratory therapist. Even though we have developmental therapists who are amazing, I was night shift. They were day shift. I did not get to work with the developmental therapist. Position a micro with the tube and like how to move them around. And like, they were so I mean, just the tips and the tricks they had and, you how know, to just suction. How to, yeah. Well, and then that just goes to show why the culture and the communication and relationships are so different. And I, I'm not going to lie. I've seen like newer nurses, like kind of speak down to an RT. And I was like, you moron. Oh. It's kind of like the same thing when a new doctor will like, you know, sass a nurse and even the experienced doctors are like, oh, that one's about to get their ass chewed out yeah. and mm-hmm. handed to them. Same thing with like a new nurse. I'm like, you are not. Like, yes, you have just maybe this one patient because your scope, not even your scope is necessarily different, but your focus, your focus is different because they are managing again, just cardiopulmonary, 
but that is their patient also. Right. Just as much as it's your patient. And they're charting just, on the patient. They're putting their name on that right. patient. And they've laid, now you've laid the groundwork by being an asshole with that person. Yes. Yeah. And that doesn't, I mean, we're women. That stays in the back of our Yeah, it does. <laughs> but it does. It's, it's like, because I feel like even with CNAs, I worked as a CNA. So I think in general, people that worked as a CNA have better skills as mm-hmm. far as working in a team setting. Yeah. Other people that graduate and they've never worked in the healthcare setting, I'm not saying everyone, but some of them will come off as very bossy. Like, this is my patient. And you're taught in nursing school, no offense to them, they are taught to delegate. So delegate this role to your CNA, delegate this. Delegating is great, but it's how you do it. You're not delegating because you're in charge and you're the boss and you run the show. So they, I've seen people where they will come on and they'll like tell their RT, like, do this, do that. (laughs) (laughs) You are, nope. That Don't is what we are me. not going to do today. <laughs> I'm like, you need that person. When your patient starts to code, that is your best friend. I mean, and it's a good thing for for floor nurses that they don't see RTs that much because when they do see an RT, that means that patient is critical or getting worse and maybe they should be moved off that floor, but either way. So I know you touched on this a little bit, but how do you detune? Because you're doing so much. You are not only an RT, you're working bedside, you work emergency, you're advocating, you're working, you know, there's so many things that you're doing. And now you're a director. You're a director. And, you know, obviously there's that element of burnout. Like how do you, what are some tips you can give to- So besides alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) lots of alcohol I like hiking a lot Sam mentioned that and I've heard the joke around our department that Monique says it's an easy hike she's lying it's such a lie (laughs) I mean she's like let's we'll do an easy one it's just eight miles (laughs) and then you look it up and it's on like the little hiker website and it's in red as a difficult (laughs) hike and it's uphill the whole way it's just eight miles but it's in nature I think that's such a great thing like I you know we don't touch on that enough about how important that is to like I love nature from a lounge chair with a cocktail where I can see the nature I mean I like that for like 30 minutes I like to see the nature I don't like to walk uphill in the nature I love walking uphill that's where you get to find all the fun stuff like the secret swings that I know so I want to get there go with me on she has the coolest pictures at the end point. And I'm like, how do I get there without getting there? <laughs> like, I want to take the Instagram picture. You want the instant gratification. Of the it. end of the hike, yeah. but I don't want to get there. And then I sure <laughs> as hell don't want to get back. Like we, I hiked Mount Baldy with her. But you did it. I almost and died. And you didn't even train for That's it. Impressive. I ripped a hole yes. in my pants. She that did. is impressive. Oh my God. I ripped a hole you in gotta my see the pants. Like my whole butt cheek was out. <laughs> and... I lost my hat down the side of the mountain, flew off my head, oh my and I was hunched over. Like I had the little walking sticks, and I was hunched over and could not breathe, and everything hurt. And I almost stopped and didn't go to the top until this like 80 year old man briskly walked by me and was like, We're almost there. You got this. And I was like, literally <laughs> sitting on a rock, Great. thinking about just waiting until everyone comes down. And I was going to give up. And then I was like, This 80 year old just smoked me. So then I like got up there. And then she's like, oh, yeah, you made it. Okay, we're going back down. We took a picture at the top. She, We go back down. She ran. She ran down Mount Baldy. And I'm like, this bitch is nuts. So yeah, now when she I asked do. me to you hike, go, I'm like. And travel normally, right? But right now, of course, we know traveling yeah, is Yeah, this is the Hawaii queen. Oh, I mean, you. like, literally, I feel... I'm having withdrawals. She's the queen of it. 2 a.m. Finding flights and being like, oh my gosh, Australia is only like a $700 flight. And I'm like, how did you find (laughs) that? And she's like, I'll just buy it. 
Let's go. But yeah, Hawaii five times a year normally would be my thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's good to detune, but that's important to talk about because I feel like to avoid the burnout concept, you know, and to, you know, really refuel yourself. And car shopping. Oh, yeah. You're sure supposed to take me car shopping. So you're a gearhead. You love I cars. Am. Oh my God. I She's love so cars. bougie. Bougie. What is She's your car? A, that's not a bougie car. What do you drive? It's a baby car. <laughs> what is it? It's an Alfa Romeo. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah, what until is I, this? Met I don't you. even know. It's an exactly. Italian car. It's but it's like low budget nice. It's like red and oh, all like okay. zippy. It's like the three, whatever the M3 of the Tesla that came out. It's like low key. Just you know. <laughs> what do you have baby. on hold right now? Oh my God. Okay, but that's the baby version also. What is it? The, I, I'm looking at the Land Rover Defender. Oh, what? Oh. What is? It? I thought you were gonna get the little. Oh, on the Ford Bronco, the OJ Simpson car. It's like OJ Simpson, first of all. But they keep pushing the date back, so now rude Ford. She thank told you me for my not car was me my car. Your car. You do need to upgrade. Thank your car. you. I'm getting a new one. You yeah. guys, we need to get you. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Because here's the thing. You drive so much. When you're in your car a lot, like, that's how I feel about it. I'm like, I am in my car a lot, as you know, driving yeah. here. You're like, how yeah. did you drive this much? <laughs> I, I'm in my car a lot. And you got to enjoy it, you know? But I'm see, that's poor. the thing. Is it's your car, there's, like, soccer mom car, or baseball mom car. Your car is, like, chess mom car. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I drive an Acura RDX, and she swears that I, like, drive a minivan. It's not even as nice it's as a minivan. It's time for a new one. <laughs> Okay, well, she was supposed to go shopping with me in December. Well, you said to wait, and now it's a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there going to be like, like a, a President's Day now's sale in time. February? What should we get her? What car should we get? She her? already has it. She's going to get that. Well, we that was that took some negotiating, by the mm-hmm. way. We settled on a Lexus. A yes. A white one, because a bad bitch drives it. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice that you have received? You know, I read that question. And I don't, honestly, I don't even. Mm. What's the best piece of advice you can give? Just to push through. I mean, literally there's a, that meme or that picture that shows somebody in their comfort zone and then somebody with the circles outside of it. So just push. If it doesn't feel uncomfortable, then you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Some, in order uncomfortable. To pr- Do you know how uncomfortable I was joining transport? Oh yeah. yeah. You're never, never going to so progress if it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. There's times, I mean, there's that, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the imposter syndrome. Yeah. I still have it. Okay. Right yes. Yeah. I think we all do. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's a real thing. Tori's right? like, you want to be a co-host of the podcast? I'm like, <laughs> total <laughs> imposter. I saw it in you. I was like, this has to happen. But yeah. <laughs> I'm like fraudulent. I love the idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you just kind of have to do it. I mean, I never would have done this or, you know, started this platform if I had been, you know, if I'd really thought about it. Right. I don't think I would have. Yeah. You know, you just kind of have to go and dive in and be, if you don't, you're stagnant. Yeah. And you'll never have that Bugatti. There <laughs> oh, you go, girl. <laughs> okay, so are there any resources you can leave for our audience or something that you think would be good for them? Yeah, it's Especially if you want to become an RT, but if you know, or if you know somebody who does resources like the California State uh, Society for Respiratory Care, the American Association for Respiratory Care, any of our pulmonology uh, groups have wonderful websites that you can also get more information on, but just have that conversation with your RT. What's your favorite conference? 
Yeah. My favorite conference, honestly, it has to be the one with the State Society because we do a Tahoe conference. Ooh. Yeah. Great just like Yeah. Well, that's the thing that about too. conferences is they have to be in a, in a fun place. Right. Like the, that's the point I know. Of you went fun. to one in Atlanta and I wasn't oh, yeah. we invited did the tramp, on that the one and I'm still <laughs> jelly. <laughs> yeah. We did I feel like I would have transport. so much fun in Atlanta. I mean, talk about how the heck do you get four helicopters inside of a building? Oh my By God. the way, I don't know how they did that, but it was pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, I've given this tip before but I think conferences are some of the best things because not only it's kind of team building, like you get to do something outside the hospital with your people. It's fun to go. Everyone is drunk. Somewhere. Like, do not lie. If you go to a conference. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. Always. Oh, there Did you get drunk at your last conference? No. But that's because oh. I was presenting. Well, the last conference for the State Society. I mean, where there was the last, I, I presented at a NICU conference in Palm Springs and I got lit. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's so much fun. Like we, uh, but I, I learned a lot. It was so much fun. It's so much fun. You get all your CEUs. Yes. You get to go out with people. You, you get to meet do stuff. all kinds of new people. Yes. That's and people around I the like. country. You get to 2022 like post COVID goals. Can oh my God. Yes. Yes. Of us? We should, we should make that a goal to go to a conference and have everyone come with us. Selfie oh squad, God, you're that coming. That would be awesome. Oh, 2022 goals. Okay, goals. Goals. We're going to 2021 is already kind of a shit yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Wear your mask so mask, that in 2022, yes. I can have my life back. All I wanted to do this <laughs> summer was twerk to wop at a bar. And I yes. couldn't do that. Make out with a stranger. it's not looking so good this year Oh my either. God. That's... How is how are people dating right I now? I know, isn't that crazy? I know. Stop. Sorry, guys. Oh, I've seen sorry. my hinge profile. I know. I, know. I guess it's... she knows my struggle. Thank you for coming. Thank We've you been like so wanting much, to have Monique. you on forever and scheduling has just been a bitch. It has. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <sighs> I really can't. I'm so happy that you're sharing RT World with everybody. Yes, oh, we yeah. definitely want to highlight, especially after being the true pandemic heroes. Thank yes. you guys. Yes. That's awesome to hear. Seriously. To every single every, RT out there. Every RT, if they're listening to this, is smiling ear to ear right now. Also, yes. if you know an RT... Give them a hug. Give them a hug. Give them a, st- a Starbucks gift card. Their, yes. Venmo them 10. If you know yes. an RT, Venmo them $10 right now for Starbucks <laughs> because they have been working their ass off. At Monique-Stefani. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank for coming on, Monique. Thank you. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Before we hop in, actually, Sam and I were literally just looking at this. Thank you so much to every single person who's left a review. Oh my God. I love reading them. It makes my heart so warm and fuzzy. So thank you. Thank you so much. We are sending out swag bags. We actually already sent them out. We sent them out Friday, but, um, we just want to say thank you so much because that, that really means so much to us as a show, um, to be able to grow. And, you know, as a, it's just, it really means a lot to us. And we just bought new stickers. We just got new stickers. So, new stickers. We got the are... new selfie lips stickers yes. with the little selfie. So on we the are tongue. sending those out if you leave a yeah. review. And thank you. Yeah, if you guys leave a review in iTunes, you know we're gonna be sending over swag bags. So make sure you leave your Insta handle in the review, and we're gonna Please be sending that over to subscribe you. Subscribe and download. Subscribe. Subscribe. Download. Download. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C E L L F I E underscore podcast. 
And you can check out all of our episodes on www.selfiepodcast.com. Um, another shout out to our vaccinated AF masks. So cool. Oh, my God. We also have a shirt, you guys. We did a shirt. Um, I, we just are super excited about this. And, you know, I think obviously this is a big moment for all of us in the healthcare field. We all are, you know, finishing getting our vaccines. And um, very proud of the yeah. history being made. Yeah, this vaccines. is a big moment. It's a really big moment um, and a really great step to hopefully getting out of this pandemic. Yes. So we're excited about it. So check out our merch on yeah. selfiepodcast.com. Love a day off. Love a day Dad off. hats, all the stuff. Yeah. So thank you so much, you guys, for being here with us. We really appreciate it. We hope you love this episode. Let us know what you thought. We want to hear you over on Insta. Follow us on Insta. Hey, yeah. Samantha with two A's. And that's Nurse Story. And thank you so much for listening, you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Why are we like that? <laughs>